Good evening. We'll be back in Daniel chapter 2 tonight. So if you want to grab your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 2, that's where we'll be at. If you're using a pew Bible, I believe that's on page 737. So you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, That's where our study will come from tonight. Uh, We started last week, if you weren't here, a study of the book of Daniel and uh, talked about some good things just from Daniel chapter 1. Tonight, we won't cover all of Daniel 2, but we'll cover the first half. Uh, the first, uh, Daniel chapter 2 is where King Nebuchadnezzar has uh, one of his first dreams uh, that Daniel uh, interprets for him. We won't actually get to the dream, interpre- really at all, the dream tonight, but we'll get to the, the process by which Daniel was led to have the opportunity to interpret the dream for Daniel, or for the king, and there's some uh, good things for us to think about here. I uh, would ask you guys to uh, keep uh, Lena's cousin Taylor in your prayers. I believe chemotherapy starts Wednesday uh, for her, so if you can keep her in your prayers. Uh, she's 33 years old, has uh, cancer in her colon and also in her liver, uh, and has a three-year-old son at home. So very uh, tough situation for that family, so we'd appreciate y'all's prayers for sure. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, it starts by saying this, Now in the second year of the, king, of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. So right in that first verse, there's some things that we're, we want to think about. And in some ways, this is a little bit more of a Bible study. We're just trying to look at and study the book of Daniel and see what we can understand and appreciate about it. So we're kind of going to walk through it, read through it, point out some things, and hopefully uh, make some application to our lives towards the end of the lesson. Um, it says, in the second year, a king Nebuchadnezzar. Well, you'll remember last week we talked about uh, the exile, that the king had come and he had uh, surrounded Jerusalem and he had basically taken over Jerusalem, went into the temple even and took some of the things out of God's temple and took him to, uh, to his God's temple. And we talked about that a little bit. But that was seemingly, it must have been, very, very, very early on in King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Uh, his father dies and then he takes the reign of the kingdom. Uh, and seemingly right after that, or maybe in the, in the midst of that happening, is when he's in Jerusalem, uh, sacking the city uh, of Jerusalem and basically putting a, a pr- puppet government in. You'll notice uh, if you look to chapter 1 and verse 18, uh, it says, Then at the end of the days which the king had, uh, had spoken of, of for bringing them in the commander of the officials brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar and the king talked with them this is all the exiles all the the nobles and the nobility and the smart and the good-looking people that that they brought in from Jerusalem and and Israel and out of them there was no one found like Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah well if you look back even further uh, to chapter 1 and verse 5 it says that he appointed that they should be, this about halfway through the verse, and appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they were to stand before the king. So Daniel 5, verse, chapter 1, verse 5 is the plan. These exiles are going to be trained for three years. At the end of three years, they'll stand before the king and they'll be judged based on their knowledge and their value and how good of servants they'll be to the king. In chapter 1 and verse 18, we see the end of the three years. But then in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so there's a little bit of a, something's going on here with our, with our dating system. And there's two possibilities, okay? Uh, either what's going to happen in chapter 2 happens before the end of chapter 1, which is not new or unique to the Bible. You'll remember in the book of Genesis, starting at the very beginning, we read uh, Genesis and gives us the entire creation account, uh, the creation of man and uh, day 7 and everything's over. And then chapter 2 of Genesis gives us more details about the creation of man and Adam and Eve and naming the animals and all of those things. So this isn't new. Uh, this has been done before. So it's possible what's happening here is that Daniel 
who's going to be able to interpret this dream in chapter 2, he's able to do this even before the end of the three years of training that he's supposed to be receiving. The other possibility is that in Babylonian culture, uh, that there was a little bit of a different dating or year system that they used for their king. The first year that the king, uh, first year that someone took the kingship was called the year of ascension. What we would generally refer to as their first year of being king, but they would call the year of ascension. And in their second year of being king, they would call that their first year of being king. Yes, it is confusing. Uh, And then their third year of being king, they would call their second year of being king. So it's possible that when it says now in the second year of of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, that this is actually his third year of being king, which would match up with chapter one. But either way, Daniel is called in to interpret this dream either before his training is even done or right after he has become someone that the king would look to for guidance, okay? I think it's, it's maybe more impactful and the, it's more impressive to us, to me it is, if this is in his second year, before his training's even done, before the king has had a chance to talk with him and notice his wisdom and to say, hey, there's nobody like uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These guys are the best of the best. But either way, uh, Daniel and his friends are very impressive. Okay, so he's got these dreams. Back to chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, now verse 2. Then the king said to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the, the sorcerers, and all the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. So all the wise men, there's a different classes or different uh, groups of wise men, but we'll just call them the wise men. All the wise men come and stand before the king. Now, again, another reason that I think that this is probably the second year of his training and not the third year of his training is because Daniel's not here. We'll read this as we read the context. Daniel isn't here when this challenge is made uh, to these wise men, okay? So he calls the king before them, and then the king says in verse 3, he said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Say the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. Okay, two things from that verse that are significant. Remember it says, you'll see there, then the Chaldeans uh, spoke to the king in Aramaic. Okay, we generally think of two past two languages that the, the Bible is written in. We think the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek. There are at least three languages that it's written in, though, and the other one is Aramaic. But when we think about Aramaic, you've probably heard of that before. But when we think about Aramaic, we usually think, well, that's the other language that was used in the New Testament. Well, here it's also used in the Old Testament. If you were looking at a manuscript of the book of Daniel, from Daniel chapter 2 and verse 4 all the way through chapter 7, it would have been written in Aramaic and not Hebrew. Why is that? Well, there's no explanation given, so we don't know exactly. The best guess that people have come up with is that the things that were important to the Hebrews, especially those who have been back in Jerusalem, those were written in Hebrew, and the things that were important to the uh, Hebrews that were in exile that would have been trained in Aramaic, those things were written in Aramaic. Does that make a whole lot of difference to us today? Probably not, uh, but it is an interesting note uh, to think about. So when it says that the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic right after that word and all the way through chapter 7, the book of Daniel is actually written in Aramaic and not Hebrew. But here's what they say. O king, live forever. Say the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. Again, this is 
this was a common theme during this time where ancient kings or, or kings of, of this time period in the book of Daniel and before that and even after that and perhaps somewhere even today, uh, they placed a large emphasis on dreams and they thought and they considered that the gods, especially their gods, were trying to tell them something through their dreams. What does this dream mean? What does, what does it mean for my kingdom? What does it mean for my life? And maybe you and I have had weird dreams before and tried to say, well, what is that about? And we're trying to scratch our heads and say, what's going on here? Uh, and that's what the king is doing here. But it was a common thing during King Nebuchadnezzar's day that he would have called these people before him. It's his second year, so either his second or third year being the king. He's probably called these guys maybe many times before, certainly sometimes before, and said, hey, I had this dream, and here's what it was. Can you tell me what it means? And it would have been a common thing for them to have tried to explain to them, to him, uh, what it meant. Uh, and here, in this passage, with through Daniel, God uses this. Now, that's interesting. Uh, this is something that we think about uh, that we would not put any credence or, or credit into. Uh, if we had a dream today, we probably, most of us at least, probably wouldn't put much thought into what's the literal meaning of this or what, what's, the, what's the interpretation of this dream. We, we wouldn't put much credit into this. But here God uses something that was common during that day to deliver a message to the king Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, uh, verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Now, when I read that verse, and probably when you hear it, you say, man, he's pretty extreme. That's, that's, a, that's a big step, right? And, and to them, they have a similar reaction, not necessarily because of the same reason we do. But like I said, it was commonplace for, for kings or even other people to have a dream to tell someone, here's the dream I had. Can you help me interpret what this dream means? What does this mean for my life? And certainly kings, when they called their wise men before them, they would say, hey, I had this dream. Here's what I dreamed. What does it mean? And that's what the Chaldeans ask him to do. Hey, tell us your dream. And we'll tell you what it means. But he says, no, I'm not going to do that. You have to tell me not only what my dream means, but you have to tell me what my dream was. And that sounds pretty difficult, doesn't it? Uh, you've had a dream maybe the, this week. I have no idea what you dreamed. I had dreams this week. You have no idea what I dreamed. You know, there's no way for, for us to be able to, to do that in and of ourselves. Maybe if you told me that you, what your dream was, maybe I could come up with some sort of idea of maybe what that, what that means or what you ate the night before or something like that that made you have that dream, right? Uh, but, but here they're asked not only to interpret the dream or to give some sort of spiritual or practical meaning to his dream, but he's, they're also commanded to tell him what the dream means. And he says to them, hey, and if you don't do it, I'm going to destroy you and your family. Again, pretty extreme. Uh, verse 6, he goes on. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward of great glory. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time. The wise men said again, let the king say the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are buying time inasmuch as you have seen the word from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one law for you. Indeed, you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the time is changed. Therefore, say the dream to me that I may know that you declare to me its interpretation. So there's a little bit of back and forth between the wise men and the king. And remember, he's only been king for at most three years at this point. He reigns for 43 years. 
maybe part of his ability to reign for 43 years is he was a little paranoid. All right? He was a little paranoid about people abusing him and abusing his power and tricking him into doing things that would benefit them. And that certainly seems to be what he thinks they're trying to do. You're buying time. You're trying to, uh, to, to tell me deceptive things. You're trying to, to twist my dream into ways that will, uh, will, will benefit you. Or perhaps even when it says until the, the time is changed in verse 9, you're trying to tell me uh, or to, to give enough time where this dream comes to fruition and then you'll be able to say, yeah, that's what your dream meant. Okay, so they're trying to manipulate him in some way or at least that's what his interpretation of the situation is. He's a little paranoid about what's going on. Let's look at verse 10. Uh, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who is able to declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or powerful ruler has ever asked about a manner like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the matter which the king asks is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with flesh. Two things there. They say, King, no great king... No powerful man has ever been, in essence, they don't say this word, but in essence they say, has ever been foolish enough to ask such a thing. If you'll tell us what your dream is, we can tell you what it means. But nobody has ever asked to not only tell what the dream means, but what the dream was. And then, in verse 11, they don't understand that they really don't get it. They, They get it but they don't get it. What do they say? There's no man who could tell you what this dream means. Only the gods of heaven could do that. And that's exactly what's going to happen throughout the rest of this chapter is that the God of heaven is going to be able to declare what this dream means. Verse 12. And because of this, the king became very indignant and furious and said to, to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the law went forth that the wise men were to be killed. And so they sought out Daniel and his friends to kill them. Okay, so here, here we find Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We don't know why they weren't there at the first meeting when the king calls in all the wise men. Are they already part of them? Are they just in training to be a part of them? We're not exactly sure the timing of what's going on here. But we do know that the king is so upset with the, the wise men's uh, response that he says, okay, kill them all. And Daniel and his friends are thrown into that group. And they're sent out, the law is made, the decree is made, and the, the, the military folks are sent out to kill all of them. And then it says in verse uh, number 13, So the law went forth that the wise men were to be killed, and they sought out Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to kill the wise men of Babylon. So here's, here's the scene. Uh, Arioch, this wise man, either he himself or some of his people under his command, come to Daniel's door. Maybe Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's door. He knocks on it and says, hey, I'm here to kill you. I don't know what the conversation was. I don't know if it was going to be a public execu- execution in the, uh, the town square. I don't know what it was going to be. But, but the law was, the decree was made, the king said, go kill everybody. And Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were a part of that group. And Daniel is told about the situation. Hey, I'm here to kill you. And he responds with wisdom and discretion and discernment. And he answered and said to Arioch, a powerful official of the, uh, for the king, for what reason is the law from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and sought from the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So Daniel, again, apparently not there the first time or either didn't get it when he was there, 
uh, now asks to be able to go to the king and ask for some more time. It seems as if that perhaps there is a, uh, either the, uh, a messenger is sent asking for more time for Daniel. Maybe Daniel himself goes before the king, but more time is given. Then verse 17, here's where we get to some of the more practical things that we can think about. Again, most of us, I would dare say all of us here tonight, have never been in a, a situation as dire as Daniel's situation. They are ready to kill him. The law has been made. He's going to die. He, he asks for, begs for, with wisdom and discernment and discretion, hey, give me a little more time and let me see if I can figure this out. And a little more time is given. We're not told exactly how much. But notice the first thing that he does. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so that they might seek compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the men of Babylon. So, first of all, he goes to his friends, his three closest friends, no doubt, and he makes the matter known. It's important for us to make sure that we understand he's not gossiping. He's saying, hey, he's not saying, hey, did you hear what the king said? Hey, did you hear what those uh, foolish wise men weren't able to do? He's not going to, to share with them the situation in order to, to gossip about it or to uh, badmouth one group or badmouth the king or anything like that. He says he goes to them to seek them to pray to God. So a lesson for us, of course, would be that prayer should be our first line of defense, no matter how dire the situation is. Another point could be that we ought to surround ourselves with godly companions that we can go to in our moments of need and seek compassion from God. That's what Daniel did. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah may be together, may be separately, but they stopped whatever they were doing and they prayed to God for compassion. It is of note, and it will come back up later, what was their prayer uh, specifically in verse 18, it says, uh, seek compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Okay, so make the mystery, make the, the dream known, its interpretation known, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So maybe at this point, some of the wise men have already been destroyed, uh, but they are praying that they will not be destroyed along with the wise men of Babylon. That will change slightly later on and tell us more about this situation but that was seemingly originally their prayer. Verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, So Daniel, perhaps in a dream, a night vision, probably a dream, uh, the mystery, the, the dream and its interpretation are given to him. And then here's Daniel's response in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and might belong to him. And he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my, of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. Even now you have made known to me what we sought from you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Okay. So prayer is our first line of defense. We ought to surround ourselves with godly companions. And then when God answers our prayers, we should praise him. Praise him in the moment. We should praise him publicly. We should praise him boldly. And, and I think, especially for, for those of us who have children at home, it's important that when we pray together as a, as a family and God answers our prayers, point out to our kids, hey, this is God answering our prayer. We prayed about this. We prayed about this situation. We prayed for help here. We prayed for help in this situation and how God is answering that prayer in this way. And we need to make sure that we recognize that 
And certainly, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, uh, everybody, we need to make sure that younger folks recognize and see those blessings as well. A few things from Daniel's prayer. Uh, Wisdom and might belong to him. Uh, That'll come up later again that Daniel doesn't claim this wisdom for himself. He recognizes that it comes from God. He gives wisdom to wise men, knowledge to men of understanding. I love the, the phrase in verse 22, he knows what is in the darkness. That's just cool to me. You know, that God, when I don't know what's in the darkness, when I don't know what's around the corner, when I don't know that, that deep, dark, scary place that I've got to head towards, that valley of the shadow of death, God knows what's there. And he's gone ahead of me, and he knows what's there, and he's going to take me through it. That's, that's pretty powerful to me. Uh, and then there's, there's a couple of verses here in verse 21, for a couple of phrases, uh, that are a little bit uh, disconcerting. It says, and he, God, uh, changes the times and the seasons, He removes kings and establishes kings. We noticed last week uh, in chapter 1 that it looked like that God was completely powerless. You know, that someone comes into his temple and takes his stuff from from his temple and puts it in some other false god's temple. Seems like he's very inept, very uh, very powerless. But remember, by the end of the chapter, he had four men who were some of the most powerful men in the entire kingdom. And we say, yeah, God was still in control. But then we read verses like this, and we, we understand he changes the times and the seasons. God is still in control there, and he removes kings and establishes kingdoms. And that can be a little disconcerting because God allows bad things to happen. Uh, we read in the book of Romans that kingdoms and kings are established because God has established them. And we look through history and we say, well, I've known some pretty bad kings and kingdoms. I've known some pretty wicked people. And that concerns me, God, that you would allow them to be in power. But it also is comforting, the fact that God is in control, because through faith, it inspires us to profess and to proclaim that God won't allow anything to happen that isn't for our good and to his glory. We may not always understand it. We may not always like it. It may not always be our preference, but God is always in control. And God can and is, not only can he, but he is working things for his glory and for our good, even when we don't understand it or maybe even like it. Look at verse 24. Uh, then Daniel, after he's received the, uh, the knowledge that he needed, the dream and its interpretation, and he's praised God for it, then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. So remember earlier, when what was their original prayer? I think in verse, uh, verse 18 that they won't be destroyed along with all the other wise men of Babylon. Remember last week how we talked about being loyally subversive? How, you know, there was, there was an opportunity for these exiles that they could, have been, uh, they could have been radical and they could have fought against the Babylonians in some sort of physical way. And some of them did that and probably lost their lives. Or they could have given in and just accepted the ways of the Babylonians and, and just become like the Babylonians and worship their gods and followed their ways and not followed the God of the Hebrews at all. Uh, but then Daniel showed us a different way. Daniel showed us that, uh, that rebellion or that uh, standing firm on our beliefs didn't have to be rude. Remember, he asked for permission. He asked multiple times in multiple ways and kind ways to be able to do this differently than the plan was. And there was this loyal subversion. And it's, I think in some ways it's something that applies to us today, that we are thankful for the fact that we live in such a great country. 
I am thankful. There's nowhere else on this earth that I would rather live if I had the chance. But can America be better? Absolutely it can. Can I help make it better? Absolutely I can. And we can do that. We can be loyal to our country, but be subversive in a way that helps every individual and therefore hopefully our nation to become a better place. Our community, our family, our neighborhood, take it down very small. Our schools, our jobs, our places of work. We can help make those places better places, even though they may already be uh, the best place that could be for us. Um, but, so he, he set her down at verse 18 saying uh, that we won't be killed with the rest. We won't be destroyed with the rest of the Babylonians. But then in verse 24, when he speaks to the guy, he says, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. He doesn't just ask, hey, don't kill me or my friends. He asks also for the good of his enemies. It's, the, it's these people that he's asking to be saved. They'll be the ones that'll tattletale on Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they'll they'll end up being in the fiery furnace because of these people that Daniel saves. It's these people that Daniel saves here that will tattletale on Daniel for praying to God when he's not supposed to be praying to anybody else, and because of that, he'll be thrown into the lion's den. These are the people he's asking and saying, hey, don't destroy them because he's loyal to them and he's wanting better for them. It doesn't mean it always happens. It doesn't mean that we don't suffer for doing the right thing. But he was doing the right thing, even if it meant difficulty for him. Uh, Verse 26. So here we have the king and Daniel, and we're only going to go to verse 28, so we're just about done. The king and Daniel are interacting here, and it says, The king answered and said to Daniel. So here's Daniel, this exile, who either is not quite done with his training or has just finished his training. Uh, And the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And remember, he's already asked the Chaldeans, the other wise men this, and the promise he made them. And hey, if you're not, I'm going to destroy you, and I'm going to destroy your house. So there's probably a tone of threat in this comment. Are you able to tell me my dream and its interpretation? And then notice the the bravery and the gall, in some ways, of Daniel in verse 27. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king is asking, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. In essence, and probably what the king hears at first, is Daniel says, No, I can't. I can't. And and I I imagine in my mind, and maybe this is not right, but I imagine the king's anger boiling up within him as he hears this no coming from Daniel, and he's about to, you know, say, kill him now. Strike him down right here. Verse 28. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the last days. This was your dream and the visions in your head while you were on your bed. And then from that point forward, he declares to him what we'll talk about, Lord willing, next week, uh, the dream and its interpretation. What do we take from this? What practical lessons can we take from this pretty dramatic story uh, that happened thousands of years ago in a land far, far away? Again, uh, prayer should be our first line of defense. The next time you face a difficult situation, certainly a dire situation like Daniel does, the very first thing you should do is you should pray. It would be a wise idea to do what Daniel did. Seek some godly companions and pray with them. Have other people pray along with you. Number three, let's recognize and remember that even though we don't always understand it or we don't always understand what's going on in our lives or in the world, God is in control and he is working out his will for his glory and for our good. Number four, 
recognize Daniel's humility. Daniel's humility. He recognizes God's blessings and he praises God for the answer that he was given and he makes known even to the king, even in a a, a difficult situation. It would have been the easiest thing for Daniel to have said when the king said, can you make known to me this dream and its interpretation? Yeah, I got it, king. I got it. Yeah, just calm down. That would have been the easiest thing for him to do. But instead, he takes the time to say, uh, as for the matter in which you ask me, there's neither conjurers nor all these other people, right? He, he, he goes into this almost speech to try and explain to the king the importance of where this information came from. Humility, recognizing God's blessings, helping other people recognize God's blessings. And then, again, that loyal subversion uh, that Daniel did not have to say to Arioch, don't kill the wise men of Babylon. He could have just said, hey, my God has revealed to me and my friends the answer the king seeks. And he could have sought praise for himself, but instead he sought what was best for others. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we are thankful for all the blessings you give to us. Lord, we're thankful for the book of Daniel. We're thankful for the man Daniel who lived thousands of years ago. We thank you for the life that he lived. Lord, it was by no means an easy life. Not a life that he would have probably requested for himself or that we would request for ourselves. A life of loss, a life of difficulty, uh, a life of trial and tribulation of persecution. Uh, But Lord, also a faithful life. A life that was filled with praise and glory and honor to you and because of that, blessings even for him. Lord, we pray that you will help us to pray to you in our times of need. Making sure and realizing and remembering that Our greatest help in any situation will come from you. Lord, we pray that you will help us to find and develop relationships with godly people who we can go to in our times of need and ask them to be with us and help us and that we can be there for them and help them and pray with them as well, God. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are in control. And God, if we're honest, many times we don't understand what you're doing. We don't see ways where good things or your glory can be done with the situation or the circumstances that we face. But we look to your word and the examples that we have there and we look to our own lives and our own experiences and we realize that you are in control and that you do bring about good for us and glory for yourself. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to remember who you are and who we are for you. You are the potter and we are the clay. Lord, help us to recognize and remember that and to praise you and to glorify you and to humbly follow you every day of our life. Lord, we thank you for this nation we live in. We thank you for this community that we live in here in Cookville. We thank you for our families. Lord, none of those things are perfect. There are difficulties and trials and shortcomings in all of those bodies. Lord, we pray that you will help us to seek what is best for others, not always what's best for ourselves. Help us to be servants. Help us to be people that will help others even when they might not be willing to help us. Lord, we just pray that you'll help us to follow Daniel's example here in chapter 2 that certainly exemplifies and shows us Jesus' life as well. We thank you for that life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus who gives us the hope of eternal life. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, Tonight, if you do have any needs and if you want uh, prayers from the congregation or if you want to study more about becoming a Christian, we're here for you to do any of those things. And we would invite you to come at this time as we stand and sing.